Hi, I'm Connie Loises. And this is Alex Gove. And this is Strictly VC Download. Hi, everyone. Hope you had a fine week. Both of our interns finished up middle school this week with one graduating and also celebrating a birthday. So things have been a little hectic on our end. Also, a quick programming note that we will not be recording next week. We will be with extended family. So doing what we can to minimize our work, though, you'll still find Strictly VC in your email inboxes. It might be on the skimpy side. Sorry. This week, too, we are mixing things up a little. Rather than feature a long, extended interview, we have four news stories for you, including conversations involving Mike Gaffari, a general partner with Canvas Ventures, who previously worked for Social Capital and who was the CEO of a Yelp subsidiary called Eat24 before that. Gaffari talked with us following his first in-person meeting with his colleagues this week, which he said was exciting for him. We also talked with Sean O'Sullivan, the founder of SOSV a venture firm that has partners all across the globe, including in San Francisco, New York, Bangalore, Taipei, and Shanghai. O'Sullivan, who was calling from his home in Princeton, New Jersey, always has an interesting perspective on what's happening around the globe. For this segment, we kept things local, which you'll soon hear. But first, a look at bipartisan legislation to curb the power of big tech. The House today introduced five bipartisan bills that could effectively defang fang. Members of both parties have long expressed their unease with the extraordinary market power of Facebook, Apple, Amazon, and Google, and the House Judiciary Committee recently conducted a 16-month investigation into these companies' potentially anti-competitive behavior. This legislation is the dramatic result of that investigation. One bill would give the Justice Department or the Federal Trade Commission the power to force companies to sell off parts of their businesses that present a clear conflict of interest. The measure seems aimed in part at Amazon Basics, which has been accused of using third-party seller information to develop and market similar products at substantially lower prices. Another proposal would prevent platforms like Google from prioritizing their own search results over those of their competitors. A dominant company would also not be able to exclude rivals from its platform or demand payment in return for access. Small tech companies like Roku welcomed the news, as did academics like Eleanor M. Fox, a professor of law at New York University, who said that the legislation would help address outdated antitrust laws. Still, big tech will not take these measures sitting down. Together, Facebook and Amazon spent approximately $38 million on lobbying in 2020, but it's easy to imagine these cash-rich companies buying up every lobbyist in town to fight these bills. In addition, Paul Gallant, an analyst with Cowan & Company, wonders whether enough Republicans will support the legislation given the party's historical reluctance to change antitrust laws. The gap between sounding tough at a hearing and actually voting for a breakup is significant. I do wonder if these bills can get to 60 votes in the Senate, he said. In other news, this week, Fly Homes, a Seattle-based real estate startup that offers guarantees to buyers in overheated markets, making their bids effectively as good as cash, raised $150 million in fresh funding from investors, bringing its total fundraising to date to $310 million. 
it's easy to appreciate why investors are excited. The real estate market remains hotter than ever, and Fly Homes, founded in 2015, seems to have found its groove. According to founder and CEO Tushar Garg, the company has now worked with 2,700 customers, who it has helped not by acting as a direct lender, but by instead relying on a debt facility to do its underwriting, lending buyers who don't have cash right now the cash they need for a short period of time until the closing happens. It's also natural to wonder how the company and many other real estate startups raising giant rounds right now will fare when the economy invariably slows down. To learn more, we talked this week with one of the outfit's earliest backers, Mike Gaffari, a general partner with the firm Canvas Ventures, who has led numerous investments into real estate tech companies and who used Fly Homes to move recently to the suburbs of San Francisco. You and I both lived in San Francisco at different times. You know what it's like when you're going in and there's all cash buyers. Mm-hmm. You remember after the Facebook IPO, oh, sure. it felt like everybody in Noe Valley and all these places were all cash buyers. And if you weren't an all cash buyer, because you didn't work for a mega multi-billion dollar company, you felt left out. And so that's the first thing Fly Homes came and did said, hey, we can make anyone a cash buyer. It's actually not that hard if they could work out a deal where they had a $100 million credit line from Citibank. We could help underwrite and have more nuanced view than traditional mortgage lenders can to get that person so they can have an all-cash offer for a period of time and then convert into a regular mortgage. Gafari says it's hard to overstate the allure of an all-cash offer and a feverish market in particular. The other interesting thing that the company found is that they can actually get a 2.4% savings versus the next highest offer on average because sellers like the certainty of an all-cash offer. That discount could be as high as even 10%. Such discounts are part of the company's secret sauce, says Gafari. So is a program called Trade Up that enables potential customers to shop for a home without first selling the house where they're living, though the home seller could lose out on some of the upside that he or she might enjoy otherwise. Essentially, the seller agrees to let Fly Homes purchase their old house at a certain price. Then, after they're ready to move out of the house, they can list it on the open market for roughly three months. And if they get a better offer, it's a win-win for everyone, Gafari says. So what they'll do is they'll say, look, our algorithm says your house is worth X. Let's Mm -hmm. say it's worth $800,000. That's Mm -hmm. an average price in some of these hot markets that they work with. We won't guarantee you 100% of that, the full $800,000, but we'll guarantee you maybe 95% of that value. So I'll just pick a round number, $750,000, something like that. And then you can go spend now the next several months looking for a new home and you don't need to list your old home until you've actually found and closed on the new home. And again, we'll bridge you for that little period. And the banks historically wouldn't let you do that. We will enable that. And we'll make a guarantee that we'll buy your home for at least 95% of the value. But unlike Open Door, it's not our goal to actually buy and own your home. We want you to sell it for the highest price possible on the open market. And you'll have 90 or 120 days to do that with our help. If the home doesn't sell, Fly Homes will keep the home on its books, then turn around and sell it itself, which begs the question of whether Fly Homes, like Open Door and other outfits looking to snap up single residential properties at a slight discount and then to sell them at a higher price, isn't using its tech as a wedge into a very different market than it might seem today. Gafari says that's not the case, that Fly Homes is operating only in cities like San Francisco, Seattle, and Boston that are sellers' markets, meaning there's no shortage of demand for homes. Unlike operators like Open Door that have long operated in so-called buyer's markets, including Phoenix, where people are only too happy to sell a house for a slightly discounted price if the transaction is fast and relatively seamless. As for whether an economic downturn prompted by rising inflation could foil the company's plans, Gafari suggests, perhaps unsurprisingly, that he's not concerned. 
the demand can go up, it could go down, the housing market could get tighter, it could get a little bit looser. We were investing in a long-term model that we think will always help home buyers regardless of conditions. Today's podcast is brought to you by FounderShield, a tech-enabled boutique insurance broker focusing exclusively on insurance solutions for rapidly evolving high-growth companies. FounderShield's mission is to create the most seamless, intuitive, and responsive experience for purchasing and administering insurance for your company. Many startups today are considering merging with special-purpose acquisition companies, aka SPACs. With the unprecedented volume of companies going public via SPAC in the past 12 months, the Securities and Exchange Commission is starting to take a hard look at many of these deals. Effective risk management has never been more important for SPACs and late-stage companies. What do late-stage companies need to consider in going public via SPAC versus a more traditional IPO? How should SPACs approach risk management and insurance in 2021? And what are the best risk management and insurance solutions for today's high-growth companies? Check out FounderShield's Risk Management Guide for answers. You can find it at foundershield.com slash strictlyvc. That's foundershield.com slash strictlyvc. Download your copy today. news, we caught up today with Sean O'Sullivan, the founder of the global venture outfit SOSV, which has slowly but steadily built up a sizable operation over the years. SOSV started off as a family office, investing the capital of O'Sullivan after he co-founded two companies, including Map Info, an outfit that went public in 1994 before Pitney Bowes acquired it years later in 2007. The seed stage investing outfit has since raised three more funds, including a $277 million early stage fund that it closed in 2019 and is actively investing at this moment. Now, to complement those funds, the organization has raised $100 million for what it's calling a select fund that's meant to help SOSV maintain its pro rata stake in some of its breakaway portfolio companies. Because of other tools in the market, SOSV wasn't completely hamstrung until now. Instead, the firm has, on occasion, assembled a special purpose vehicle to invest in certain of the startups it's backed. But O'Sullivan says these were relatively small SPVs, think $2 million in size or less. The new fund, he says, is expected to write checks of between $2 million and $5 million, and even up to $10 million, or 10% of the fund. Certainly, the new fund also gives startups even more reason to work with SOSV, which tends to write its seed checks to first-time founders, who O'Sullivan observes are often overlooked, wrongly, by investors in favor of repeat founders. He points to Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, Google, Alibaba, noting the landscape would look rather different without them. He says he experienced the phenomenon himself. My first company went public, MapInfo. We invented street maps on computers. If you type an address, you see it. A street map, you probably used it on your phone or on your computer or whatever. That was that was way back in the 1990s. My second company, NetCentric, where we coined the term cloud computing, people were just lining up to invest. And it was so easy to raise the fund without having anything more than a business plan. And of course, these days you don't even have a business plan. It is a very different. It is a very different world, but it is a lot easier for the second-time founders. But that does not mean that the first-time founders are not a better bet or that you won't get disproportionate returns. If you took out the first-time founders, if you took out Apple or out of the NASDAQ or, 
or Facebook or, or Microsoft or Alibaba or any of those others, yeah. that actually would start to really impact what our entire technological landscape looks like. That doesn't mean SOSD will get as big a bite as it might like in every deal. Though the firm has enjoyed success by betting on new entrepreneurs, it was, for example, among the first investors in Formlabs, a company now valued at $2 billion. It also backed Jump, the bike share startup that Uber acquired in 2018. A $100 million fund is small by current standards. SOSV could well find itself competing against players that have billions of dollars to deploy and which are writing bigger checks to younger companies at a velocity never before seen in the world of venture capital. It's not an absurd concern, agrees O'Sullivan. It's absolutely true. Actually, I just saw this this week, another $100 million plus round, where it's probably a Series C or so round at this stage. And it is one of the big players that you're referring to. And they don't want any of the Series B players mm-hmm. or the Series A players to use their pro rata rights, not to mention us using our pro rata rights, mm-hmm. because they're trying to get their certain equity percentage. Now they're giving us for the first time a multi-billion dollar valuation on the company. And they're also trying to buy secondaries from existing investors. Generally, SOSB is going to hold for a longer period. We hold right to the IPO if it happens quick enough within 10 years or something. And so we're generally going to hold and we're generally going to continue to invest. But you're right, in a certain small percentage of, of the cases at a series C or D round, if some of these players are coming in, they don't want any previous investors to do their pro rata. And and, and that can apply to us. For now, says O'Sullivan, SOSV is tending to go with the flow, with the expectation that in most cases, later stage investors will want to play nice. It's a long game after all, and SOSV, like a lot of seed stage firms, knows who's up and coming. If everybody else agrees to sit back and not put any money in, then we won't use our pro rata rights. But otherwise, we will. And in most cases, there's enough to go around for the previous investors. It's a good protocol for the later stage investors if they want to continue to have us introducing deals to them for them to make space for us. If you thought the answer to Zoom fatigue was going back to plain old emails and conference calls, think again. Google, Microsoft, and WeWork of all companies, are promoting holograms as the next frontier in office communications. In an article in today's Wall Street Journal, Hamid Hashemi, chief product and experience officer at WeWork, claims that holograms are more natural than Zoom calls because participants can easily pick up on a speaker's body language. Similarly, Brian Kimmel, founder and managing partner of WorkLife Ventures, a venture capital firm that specializes in the future of work technologies, foresees a world in which holograms and avatars enable a new style of communication where you'll have better, more frequent interactions. That world may be closer than you might think. Microsoft has introduced a mixed reality service called Microsoft Mesh that integrates three-dimensional images of people and content into smart glasses and other devices. And Google is testing a service called Project Starline with select enterprise partners. WeWork is perhaps furthest along. In partnership with ARHT Media, a hologram technology company, the flexible workspace unicorn will make holograms available in select offices in New York, Los Angeles, and Miami this month. Hologram technology does not come cheap. WeWork will charge $2,500 for holograms to be displayed on a standard holopod at a single location and $25,000 for multiple holograms that appear simultaneously on a shared virtual stage. 
Experts like Kanishka Chowan, a principal research analyst at Gartner, question whether the cost and complexity of holograms will ever diminish to the point where ordinary employees can commune with each other in inanimate form. Still, who are we to let the details get in the way of a good story? In the immortal words of Buzz Lightyear, To infinity and beyond! That was such a dad joke. (laughs) I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and we will see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Mm